The views you are about to hear are the personal views of Kira Lawrence and her guests. They are not necessarily views that are shared by the organisations to which Kira is associated. You're listening to Kira's Pink Sparkle Pod. Kira's Pink Sparkle Pod. Hello everybody and welcome to the next fab episode of Kira's Pink Sparkle Pod podcast. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Will Greenwood, MBE. So welcome, Will. Hello, Kira. It's lovely, 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 lovely to chat. I love pink. It's my favourite colour. Everywhere I look, I see pink sparkles and pinkiness. Fabulous. Fab. Fab, fab, fab. Brilliant. So I'm going to introduce you. So you are Will Greenwood MBE. So that's amazing. And I believe you are obviously an English former rugby union player. You played for Leicester Tigers and the Harlequins. And you are also part of the 2003 World Cup team. Yes, that's me. That's well, yes. I played a lot of rugby. Um, I loved sport as a child. Just chased any ball, ran around, kept turning up, and uh, people kept picking me. So yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to play in a really really good team with some really really good friends, and we had a we had not a pink patch. We'd call it a purple patch. Okay. Just at the turn of the millennium, where everything clicked. We played really well and we managed to win the World Cup. Brilliant. So um, what I wanted to ask you was, obviously, you've had an amazing career in rugby. And obviously, I'm Welsh. I'm half Welsh because my dad's my dad's Welsh and my dad's from Thlethley. So obviously, my dad's favourite team is is obviously the Thlethley Scarlets. So we're a big Thlethley Scarlets in our house. Um, So, yeah, so I've grown up watching rugby. I've always had to support Wales anytime rugby's on. So, yes, I've learned a bit or two about rugby. So maybe tell me a bit about rugby. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, rugby. So there's 15 players in it. Well, there's two versions. There's rugby league and rugby union. I played rugby union this 15 people in each team, eight lads or girls, sort of uh, uh, tall and big, and they bend over and push. Uh, and they do all the roughly tufty stuff. Okay. And then there's seven other players who are called backs. Those other those eight big toughens are called forwards. And there's say, seven slightly smaller, slightly faster lads, and they're called backs. Mm-hmm. They tend to score tries and kick the conversions and the penalties. And they run around and look for space. So you've got one group trying to bang bash into each other right uh to win uh to win the contact okay and if you win the contact it means you're going forward and if you're going forward like all things in life it's a lot easier going forward than reversing yeah so try and just keep going forward and if your team keeps going forward you tend to win that's okay. that's basically rugby brilliant <laughs> okay and so you were rugby union so what's the difference between rugby union and the other kind of rugby term? term? <laughs> rugby league, yeah. Uh, so there's more players in rugby union. Uh, there's less. In rugby union, we have what we call more set pieces, line outs and scrums. Now, they do have scrums in rugby league, but they're not really pushing contests. They're more uh, a restart of the game. They get They gather... 
They've only got six forwards, not eight forwards in rugby league. And then you get six goes, six runs to try and score a try. And if you don't score a try within six runs, after six tackles, the opposition get the ball. And they have six goes. And they just keep going, banging. And it's, it's really high-paced. It's a great game, full of skill, um, slightly different shapes. Rugby league players all look probably very similar in shape and size. There are some deviations, but in rugby union, there's huge deviations. You might have someone who's six foot ten, and in the team, you might have someone like Fafta Clerk, who's from South Africa, or Antoine Dupont, who's French, a little scrum half, and they might be like five foot seven. Okay. Uh, and one might weigh 125 kilos, and one might weigh 70 kilos. There are differences in league between people and sizes, but they, they tend to be uh, much more concentrated about sort of uh, one metre 95 tall, 190, so six foot. And they probably all weigh in and around 100 kilos. So uh, because there's no requirement for line outs where you're throwing people up in the air like a giraffe or, or the scrums are much more confrontational in rugby union, you need big elephants and rhinoceroses okay. in that sort of team, if that makes sense. It's always good to think about rugby union in terms of animals. So you've got, you're in the forwards, you've got elephants and giraffes and rhinos and hippos. And in the backs, you've got cheetahs and foxes and monkeys. Wow. Just, just, yeah, just really, wow. real difference. Yeah, amazing. And, you know, what kind of places do you play in? Like, have you been all over the world or do you mainly play in the UK? Yeah, no, it's it's, I would say... It's definitely an international sport. Is it a global sport? It's becoming a global sport. Okay. It was always really centred on the old Commonwealth, the Commonwealth countries. Okay. It was started at a school in rugby, uh, hence it's called rugby, by a chap called William Webb Ellis, who was playing football and picked the ball up and ran with it. And they were like, you can't do that. And then they thought, oh, that's quite a good game. So that's basically how it started. And that was about 1840, 1845. So that sport was then taken to places like Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And they're the really strong rugby countries. There's a lot of Pacific islands who are very good. Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. And then it spread throughout Europe. Uh, France are very good. Obviously, as you know, with Clenethley Scarlet, Wales yeah. are very good. Ireland, yeah. Scotland uh, and Italy have joined in a little bit later on in terms of a competition we call the Six Nations, which takes place January, February, March each year. And it's a fantastic tournament where um, you, the, the six European countries... Although I'm not sure, I'm not sure I can say England's a European country anymore because we've we've sort of left, haven't we? Yeah. But let's not go into politics. <laughs> okay. No. Let's keep politics out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. We're in Europe, but we're not in, yeah. in the EU. So I can yeah. say geographically, we are still a European country. Yeah. But we've decided okay. to um, leave. Okay. Brilliant. So my next question is is what have been some of your highlights of your career so far? What have been the big highlights for you? Um, as we go, I had such a lovely school team and a really good university team. So everyone always thinks I'll always talk about all the England games, which is fun. It, it was great fun playing for England and the British and Irish Lions. Um, so obviously they were highlights, but actually... You know, I was training last night. I go to my local rugby club at Maidenhead. Okay. We had a really okay. good training session. So I just I just love being around people who want to be a little bit better every day. 
who want yeah. to try and improve on their skill level, on their fitness, on their teamwork. And uh, if that happens, then I, then I'm then I'm a very happy chappy. Amazing. Um, do you play sport, Kira? Do you did you do sport? At school, I did. Um, at school, we did rounders, and Brilliant. we did netball. And at school, I did hockey, um, athletics. Did you go on any tours? No, sadly, no. Um, My school, we had like a big hockey pitch up the back of our school. Um, But we did athletics with a couple of other local schools. I wouldn't have called it a tour, but like we played kind of against other local schools. Did you play up until you were 16 or...? No, I actually decided sport wasn't quite for me. Um, yeah. Now, I have a learning... You've gone into show business. Yeah. I, I love music. I love drama. Um, I love the whole showbiz thing. I love being in the media. And actually, um, and part of the reason why I'm not very sporty is because I have a learning disability, which means I find things slightly harder to understand and learn. Um, Can I ask, am I allowed to ask what learning disability you have? of course. Because we live with neurodiversity in our family, and I think it's really important that we all understand vocabulary and and how you'd like to describe yourself. Of course. Of course. So for me, my learning disability started in childhood, in very early childhood, but I didn't actually get diagnosed properly until I was 10 years old. So it kind of got ignored for years until I was about 10. Um, So for me, a learning disability is something where you find it very difficult to understand very hard information, um, instructions, um, learning new things can be very difficult. You have to have support to learn new things, to have information broken down. Um, So for me, everyday barriers that I might face is if I get a letter in the post with figures on or hard words in, my husband, Mark, has to kind of read them first and explain it to me. Whereas, actually, if companies put things in an accessible way, I could read them and understand them. It, so it's society that actually stops us from being in the world. Um, so I work for an amazing learning disability charity called Mencat. That's who I work for. Uh, that's my career. I've been with them 19 years. Um, and my job every day is to campaign for the rights of people with a learning disability so I talk to the media. So I do interviews in the media sometimes. Well, um, I can tell this is the best podcast ever. So can I just, if I'm allowed to ask yes. a further question, because yes. no. uh, learning disability to me puts a lot of things under the umbrella. And I'm sure within that bracket, you'd like to be acknowledged as, and my learning disability is, and I'm different from 
uh, Stephen over there because his learning disability is. Yeah. So am I allowed to ask what your your learning disability yes. is and, how, and what, how you would describe it? Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Um, so for me, I think a really good example is if I take you back to my school days. So imagine being in a class of 34, 35 kids and you're having information thrown at you at a very quick pace time and you being given homework and you being in lots of different lessons and learning lots of different things. For me, that was very difficult. I I couldn't keep up. I can understand what was being asked of me. I found maths very difficult. I couldn't do maths growing up. Um, I found instructions, being given instructions, very difficult. Um, I got very upset at times. I misunderstood things that I was being told. Um, I found social interaction very difficult. I didn't like being in groups. Um, is this is this is this describing? Are you describing autism, or are you describing neurodiversity, or are you describing actually? I'm just Kira Lawrence. I am who yeah. I am. Yeah. I just I just struggle to to learn, or I not. That's the wrong word. I just the way the world teaches. Yes, is not for me. Yes. So for me, because a learning disability. So learning disability is a condition that starts normally at birth, during birth and after birth. A learning disability is a lifelong condition. So it, you will have your learning disability all the way through your life. There's no cure. So for my learning disability, I can't take a tablet. I can't take medicine. It, it doesn't work like that. So a learning disability so when a baby is born, this is a good example. So when a baby is born, if there's a lack of oxygen at birth when a baby is being born, their brain won't develop properly like a uh, kind of like their brain might not fully develop. And so then a learning disability might be something that that child has because obviously when you're learning, your brain is taking information in. Um, and for me, I, as a child at school, when I did activities, I didn't have very good hand-eye coordination. I found learning new things very difficult. I cut myself out of activities. I I isolated myself and I found being with people very difficult. And if I couldn't do something, I would get to the point at school where I would literally throw a wobbly and get very upset, get very emotional, get very cross with myself. And at that time, my teachers just thought I was naughty. That's what it was put down to. It was, I didn't try. I didn't learn. I didn't want to. I was being naughty. But actually, at the age of 10, 
when the mainstream um, educational psychologist came into my school and watched me in classes and talked to my teachers, she said, Kira isn't naughty. Kira isn't doing this deliberately. The way she's being educated and the way she's being taught does not work for her as a person. She and so needs, when yeah. you look back on that time, would mm. you say, and I'm certain I would never mm. ask a young lady her age, yeah. would you say there has been improvement in the education system or is there still a huge way to go to, to, to really support, I know this sounds strange, mm. to support our teachers, to work with our teachers mm-hmm. in order to really begin to understand learning disabilities, to make sure that, because I know some friends and certainly within my own family, we have, we have suffered from that where child children are labelled, as you say, yeah. naughty and not working and, and yeah. silly. How can she, he not understand this? It yeah. needs to be better. And actually... Um, there's a whole amount of suffering that goes with it and you rebel yeah. with it. Actually, if yeah. there was a bit more empathy and a bit more kindness and a bit more understanding yeah. that got to try and stop bringing people into the world that we call normal yeah. and actually just go to, go, to, go to other people's world and be happy in other people's worlds. Yeah, definitely. You know, and at the age of 10 when the educational psychologist was actually able to pinpoint that I have a learning disability because for years it had been swept under the carpet at my school. It was for me like this bell that rang and I understood why I had been so upset, why I'd find things so hard, why I didn't like being with people, why I didn't like school, why I found life very hard. And so then with my local authority, they got me assessed for special needs education. And then I went to a special needs school because... What's that school called? Sorry? What was that school called? Um, It was called Limpsfield Grange and it was a special needs school in Oxted in Surrey. Yeah, um, I know it. I've come so across it. You I enjoy went, it then. Yeah, I went there from 1992 to 1996. So I was there for four years. Um, and it was a fantastic school. And obviously, through my career at Mencap, I know there's still debates and conversations still happening around inclusive education. Should children be educated altogether here or should children with a disability be educated here? What's your view? My view is now I preach inclusion. That's my career. I talk about inclusion all the time. I do believe children should be educated together, but they need to have the support and the reasonable adjustments that they they are allowed to have to be able to achieve, to flourish, to grow, to develop. 
And if they have those in place, yes, definitely. But I've got a really interesting follow-up question. So yep. we can sort of, there's a challenge. So I think we can see that there's actually a really, uh, there's quite a, it's, it'll be a long journey, but there's a relatively simple route to educate the teachers to understand in- inclusion and focus on finding a different way to teach different children. Here's yes. another challenge, and I don't want to put okay. challenges in the way. How do you think, because I think one of the problems might come, and you might tell me from your experience, okay. no, that's not correct, but kids can be mean. Kids can be nasty. So the problem there is I can sort of understand how we could help educate teachers who are 24, 25, Mm. and they've matured and they've got wisdom. But if you find yourself with other 10-year-olds and they see children see difference, often difference is picked on. So how do we – I love inclusion – yeah. But I just that that's a that's a fear I have, a challenge I have that we could maybe fix one problem, but actually yeah. we're still putting children with mental disability in an environment which isn't kind. Yeah. Because it's very yeah. difficult to force ten year old children to like ten year old children. It's yeah. it's part yeah. of the growing up. Am I making sense, Kira? Yeah. No, you're you're saying it exactly how I had it. I was actually bullied severely at my mainstream schools that I went to because of my learning disability. I was treated unkindly at my mainstream schools. I went to two different mainstream schools and I was bullied at both because of it, because I was seen being singled out in classes. I was seen as different. So I was I still get bullied now because of my learning disability and I hate being bullied. I've been called names. I've been called horrible things by people. I get bullied on Twitter a lot. I get, I get online trolled a lot because of it. And how do you, how do you cope with that? It must be so difficult, but are you just, is it, is it with the support of your husband and and men cap? Yeah. that you'd lean on people that you value and you care? Because I know you, you're very active on Twitter. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes some people will say, well, don't go on Twitter if you get on there. But actually that's then limiting your life and your yeah. fun and yeah. your enjoyment. And you just have to you'd have to try and understand that I, I hope, mm. yeah, I hope people see the good and, and in, in diversity and how it enhances yeah. our lives. And this is why... I really, really hope this year the Paralympics will shine a light on disability and how positive it is. I really, really hope it will. And I know some Paralympians through my career. I've met quite a few of them. So I really hope when the Paralympics are on this year, that the media will portray it positively and talk about the athletes in a positive way and actually say, actually, these people are achieving. Um, And obviously, at the moment, we're all watching the Olympics because that's on at the moment. And we're all seeing how well Britain are doing. Well done, Britain, Team GB. Um, But I hope and pray the Paralympics get that 
positive press too when it's on. And in terms of vocabulary, Kira, because it's really strange um, or I think some people do find it difficult because they want to be in the conversation, but they're so wary of saying the wrong thing. Yeah. So can you just give me the vocabulary that people should be using? Am I okay to talk about um, disabled? Is, is, for example, is Kira, is Kira Lawrence disabled? Are you disabled or are you, uh, do you have a, do, or do you have a mental disability? And I think helping right. everyone to understand that I think allows us to communicate more. The more we communicate, the more we can learn, the more we can help each other. Yes. So the terminology, the terms that we use at MENCAP is we say people with a learning disability. So it's putting the person first in front of their disability. So it's about seeing the person knowing the person so it's not seeing the disability first it's seeing the person first so when i see friends i can say i've been on the pink sparklies podcast with kira lawrence and kira has has a a mental disability has a learning disability the mental as a learning disability so i'm so sorry No, 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 no no it's okay so it it's tricky because the name mencap it's we're often called a mental health charity, but we're not a mental health charity, but it's the name MENCAP, which is confusing. Mm. It makes it sound like it's mental when it's not. Um, mm. So we, I get this a lot. I go on the Victoria Derbyshire show and they'll start mm. saying mental and I kind of glare at them and they go, oh, learning disability. Yes. Okay. Uh, and kind of, yeah, they make, they make that kind of connection. And then we're like, no, 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 we're learning disability. We're not mental health. We're not mental. Um, yeah. So poly- I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm a clumsily enthusiastic supporter. No, so if I, if I honestly, stand in that pothole, uh, yeah. I, I apologize. But, uh, no. but I feel I have to keep practicing the language. It's learning order- disability. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you for it. No, no, no. It's this is why this is why I started this podcast. This is the reason why I do this podcast is to educate and to teach and to tell people about having a learning disability. This is the aim of my podcast. So this is perfect. Right. <laughs> um, so, you, and so in the Olympics and the Paralympics, yes. would you say the Olympics is for able-bodied, or would you not even say that? You just say no. It's Olympics and Paralympics, or, or, yes. or can you actually define? Do you, can you break it down into sort of a more a smaller group? Do you understand what I'm saying? No, so, sorry. Uh, uh, so, uh, so the people who compete in the Paralympics, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you just say they're Paralympians? Yes. Or would you say they're athletes with physical dis- with a physical disability? You'd ne- you wouldn't say that. Paralympians, we would call them Paralympians. Um, and, actually, and there's just no need to give them another label. It's no, just, no, just Paralympians. Just okay, Paralympians. Thanks. You know, I, even though I have a learning disability, I no. am just like anybody else. I have feelings like anybody else. 
I have rights like anybody else. I am just like you and anybody else in this world. I might just need... You're far more awesome than me, Kira. You're far more awesome than me. I might just need someone to explain something to me a few times before I can get it and before I can do something. So, for example, eight years ago, Mark and I got married and... When we got engaged, it was wonderful. All my family were so supportive. And of course, like any family, they were supportive. They're like any other family. Um, And when we got married, they supported us 100%. um, And obviously, sometimes we had to make big decisions about the day and about what we were going to do. And obviously, I would go to my mom and my dad and say, can you explain this? Or do we need to do this? Or can we do that? And then they'd explain it to me. Um, when we met with the registrar who is going to marry us, we asked if we could meet with her before the day to kind of get to know her a little bit and to kind of have the conversation around during the ceremony. Could we just have a little bit more time? Could we just kind of have things made really clear? We explained about my experience of having a learning disability. And I said that I am a person with a learning disability. And she was so supportive and so listening to us and what we needed. And she was great. And sadly, I know through my career that people with a learning disability have been stopped from getting married because of capacity. People do not think they understand what that means. So they are stopped from making that commitment to the person they love. And so for me, when I got married, I wanted to prove to the world that I am here as a person with a learning disability making this big commitment in front of the world, in front of my family, in front of my friends, in front of everybody. And now I know of maybe five or six other couples who have a learning disability who are now married. And how amazing is that? Like, I think that's incredible. And actually... What What was your first dance? So our first dance was Aerosmith, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. 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 That was, so basically, right, we did a Neil Diamond song, and my missus okay. was like, I didn't, she thought, mm, not right. So we then cleared the dance floor again and okay. did Aerosmith, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Oh. I had that as well. I mean, we are like sisters and brothers. I actually wanted Whitney Houston, but I had to. Which, I had to one? kind of which compromise. She's good. Whitney yes. Houston's good. Which one? Yes. Uh, one which... moment in time. Give me one moment in time. Yeah. Oh my God! Get the candle out. Get the phone out. <laughs> yeah. We're on it. Love it. So yeah, that is I'm, our I'm first dance. That, yes. No, 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 no. That is great. That is great. No. Um, you know, and again, you know, I know why I'm now here on this planet. My role in this world is to fight for people with a learning disability like me to live the lives they deserve. And 
I talk to MPs in my job about learning disability issues. I talk to the media. I talk to decision makers in my job. And I love it because I can go into the Houses of Parliament and actually go and say, I have a learning disability. I do all these amazing things, but it's still society that stop us from doing the things we want to do and if society changed its attitude about people like me then things would be better if you were prime minister yeah going back to the serious stuff yeah. if you were prime minister what change would you make that would help with learning disabilities if i could I would get a pink minibus, I would buy a pink minibus and I would go around the whole of England and I would tell everybody about learning disability and how how we are not to be bullied and that we want to be seen as equal and that we want to be treated equally. I would literally go to every school, teach every school child I would teach everybody if I had the chance about my life and about the 1.5 million people living in England with a learning disability and how we are in this world and that we want to be seen and heard. That's what I would do. Well, if you need a driver, I've got SatMap, I've got Google Maps. You just tell me where we need to go and we're off. All right, Amazing. you let me know. You let me know when you've got that pink bus. I'll come and be driver for a day. Okay, brilliant. I think also the other thing that I would do is I would give everybody learning disability awareness training because we always say at Mencap, if someone had training in learning disability awareness so they know about it, it that helps too. So I would literally go and train every school in learning disability and I would go and teach everybody about learning disability and spread the message. That's what I would do. Um, what would you say to parents? Because we all know, and I know parents who... Potentially, because I've been made aware of, of learning disability and neurodiversity, I sort of can see a child who I feel might be struggling. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I making sense yeah, there? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some parents who, for whatever reasons, don't want to, uh, it might be the wrong word might be to, to confront the issue. Yeah. But actually, you say to parents, you can support. Go, uh, I'm trying to get my words out, yeah. correct, but okay. you'd, 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 you'd recommend parents who fi- who think their children might have a learning disability. It's better to explore and find out yes. if they do rather yes. than to just ignore it. That ignoring's not the way forward, is it? No. So with Mencap, actually, part of our new our new big five year plan that we've launched this year. Part of it is making sure that from day one, when a parent has a child born with a learning disability, that they get support from day one of that child's life so that all the way through their child's life, they can then get the right support and the right guidance and go know where they can go for help and advice and support so we really want to see 
the UK to be a better place for people with a learning disability. That's the aim of our Make Up Five Year Big Plan. Um, well, with you, with you at the, at the helm, it'll it'll happen in three years, not five. I hope so. I hope so. And you know, I I go on TV shows and I get asked, oh, you know, what do you think about this? What do you get? You know, what's a learning disability? But actually. I want to be able to go, actually, I'm just one person, you've interviewed me, but actually there's so many more people like me out there who have a voice, who aren't heard, and you need to have them on your show. So at the moment, as a media spokesperson, I'm saying, actually, as much as it is lovely that I go on TV shows and the news and talk about learning disability, I'm just one person, but you need to hear other people's voices as well. And that's really important. So, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm very I'm I'm just here. My podcast is about wanting to change the world for people with a learning disability like me. I through this, I want to educate. I want to teach. I want to say to people, it's okay to have a learning disability. It's okay to be different. Now, the nine-year-old me would have said, I don't want anyone to know what if that I have a learning disability. I didn't want people to know when I was growing up. But now I'm proud of having a learning disability because it's led me to have a brilliant 19-year career with Mencap. I'm married. I live in my own home. I've done huge things that I never thought I would ever achieve. I now have achieved those things, but I've got so much more to achieve. And I I know I will achieve them, but it just will take a bit of time. Um, and that's... I, think, I grew yeah. up in Italy. I think they would say bravissima, bravissima, which is wonderful lady. Um, so thank you so much thank for inviting you. me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Kira's Pink Sparkle Pod. Kira's Pink Sparkle Pod. The views in this podcast are the views of Kira and her guests, and not necessarily those of the organisations to which Kira is associated with. Check back soon for another exciting episode of Kira's Pink Sparkle Pod. Written and presented by Kira Lawrence and edited by John Andrews.